Welcome to The Cleaning Podcast, dedicated content to answer all of your cleaning how-tos with the industry's most knowledgeable experts. If you need to clean it, sanitize it, deodorize it, and or otherwise remove from it all unwanted matter, you're in the right room. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on The Cleaning Podcast. Today is my privilege to introduce Paul Lucas, someone who's been in the industry for as long as pretty much the industry's been around. I used to pal around with the late, great Ed York back in the early days. Um, He's been IICRC instructor. He's been Fiber Cleaning Schools of America curator. (laughs) And uh, as of late, he's running uh, rug restoration seminars. And he's also the owner of ChemMax in the earlier days with low moisture when it before it was even a thing. So we can talk about all of that. But today, I want to introduce you to Paul. And uh, we want to focus on rugs. So he has a passion for rugs and what this could mean for you in your business and kind of how you have to be mindful when you approach these types of rug jobs if you want to start adding this to your repertoire within your company. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Give us a brief introduction to yourself and why you are passionate about cleaning. Well, I started in the cleaning business because my brother uh, had a cleaning business and I was, you know, the little guy uh, before I, you know, young teenager. And he used to wake me up at uh, four in the morning and we would go out and clean, uh, basically sweeping and mopping, vacuuming. Uh, restaurants and other things he had. So I kind of grew up in the cleaning business. And then um, when I uh, was done with high school, I started cleaning carpet uh, professionally. I had a good friend that was in the business uh, and he just guided me and I started my own uh, carpet cleaning business. So I did that for a a number of years. And then um, because I'm in a small town, I thought, you know, how can I get like, nationwide business and uh, worldwide business. You know, where, how can I grow beyond this little community? And I took a, a couple IICRC uh, courses, uh, first one from Jeff Bishop, and um, he sold me a book, uh, management, uh, his management book, and in that book he had recipes for carpet cleaning. And so I started making these recipes that he had formulated. And then of course I bought all my ingredients from Jeff and then I would, uh, I bought a blender and uh, we made all the stuff, you know, Jeff's way. And then of course, uh, about that same time I met Ed York and Ed was of course running SC. And what year is this? Oh, 77, 1977. And I, th- I think I went to my, f- I went to my first, I, I, Oh, no, no. SCT. I-I-C-U-C. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I-I-C-U-C. And it was SCT, Society of Cleaning Technicians. And they had a convention in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is not far from me. So I drove down there and realized suddenly that this was a big industry. It wasn't just uh, a little industry. There was a lot of people involved. There's people from all over the world there because, you know, uh, Ed has connections to uh, uh, Japan uh, we had people from Canada and uh, Puerto Rico and uh, some uh, people from Europe. And I'm going like, wow, this is a this is a real business. So uh, what I did is I took um, those recipes that started with uh, Jeff. I bought some books on recipes. Uh, I got a hold of the local uh, chemical suppliers and I, I started making my own chemicals. So. Uh, then I went around selling those, of course, all focused on carpet cleaning. And then uh, eventually I sold my cleaning business and started Chemax, uh, which was just uh, the cleaning chemicals. And that was in 1985. So um, uh, by that time, I, you know, I, I was full-time uh, chemical sales, chemical manufacturing. And Ed... Um, helped me in the sense that, you know, we went and did seminars together, the IICUC classes, and uh, I would demonstrate my cleaning products and all that in these classes. Of course, IICUC is generic. So uh, we always taught everything generically, and we just use whatever the customer 
if we were doing a class at their facility or I'd bring my stuff. And then we always brought other people's stuff. So it wasn't a sales seminar. It was a generic seminar. Uh, and so, you know, doing the shows with Ed and then getting involved with some other organizations, uh, the chemical business grew. And then we started to focus on Oriental Rugs back about um, 2008 when the carpet cleaning market kind of dropped off, uh, the housing market dra- dropped off, uh, carpet for wall-to-wall carpeting in homes kind of dropped off. And so uh, Oriental Rugs became more of a focus because that's what was on the floor now. They had a, a wood floor or a tile floor or a marble floor, and there was rugs sitting on it. And really what made us go that way is we had this great product called LST. And of course, Keith Williams was the inventor of that product. Uh, Him and Ed go way back. And we just had this product that was really just wonderful for cleaning wool rugs uh, because it was very mild, uh, made the colors pop. Uh, The pH was just about ideal for wool. Uh, it had fluorocarbon surfactants, which this is way before people were talking about uh, encapsulant cleaning. Uh, and Keith had already made an encapsulant cleaner way, way back in the 70s. Uh, and and using um, his science uh, background, because, uh, you know, Keith ran a testing facility for uh, textiles. And so he knew what was bad for carpeting, what was good for carpeting. And so after always telling people, you know, you should use a, a cleaning product that doesn't leave a lot of residue. You should leave a, use a cleaning product that doesn't have harsh pHs. You should use a cleaning product that's, you know, mild and uh, non-toxic and all those things. And he just got uh, kind of sick of saying, go find it and just went ahead and made one. And of course, uh, gave it to Ed and said, you know, I don't know how to market this stuff. I'll go for it. So anyways, um, that LST product was used uh, back then um, by many, many uh, Oriental rug cleaners because it was just ideal for that. So when, um, I forget what year it was, but one day Ed came to me and said, can you make the LST because the current provider, I'm not happy with them. And they had, they ran into something. So um I said, sure. So we started manufacturing LST, oh, back probably, I don't know, um, maybe uh, the year 2000 or, or before that even. Um, um, I'm not sure. But but we had been using it and selling it, uh, and then we started manufacturing. So that that's when the market changed. We were kind of ready because we had an ideal product. Plus, we had a couple other ones uh, like uh, uh, our Rug Sour. It's just to drop the pH, but but only a few. And then after uh, things started change, we started going like um, in about 2008, we started saying, well, why don't we make something for that problem? So somebody call up and say, I'm having a hard time getting the fringes clean. I said, well, I'll make a fringe cleaner for you. And then somebody would say, you know, I cleaned a rug and took all the tea dye out. And I said, well, I'll make a tea dye for you. And then another person would call and say, you know, I, I, I have these rugs that the colors have already bled. How do I get the bleeding of color out without destroying the rug? I said, well, I'll make a, 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 a strip washing product for you. And so we just, over the years, uh, have a lot of these specialty products that uh, nobody else has because we made them from scratch to solve a problem, and they're not big movers. So people don't tend to, um, the big companies don't want to make something that doesn't have giant batches that they can make every day. So, but we we do this little boutique type uh, chemicals uh, to solve rug cleaning issues. Very cool. No, and um, and yeah, I know we can touch on a handful of things there. Um, so, as we dive into this a little bit, I don't want to get too deep. Because, you know, there's lots of coursework out here and there's lots of depth of information. We won't have time to go into everything. But if these guys are listening and, and they haven't dived into this yet, because you say get into it. And I that trips my brain to say, well, what does get into it mean? 
at what point are you taking care of the rugs at the level you're talking about? And at what point are you blotting with a dry rag? Where's the, where's the line there? What, what can they do as cleaners to, you know, identify things that they could jump into? Um, like, yeah, sure. Mrs. Jones, I'll use a little surfactant on that and pull it up. Or now nah, I'm not touching that because I'm not a rug guy. And like, what level would you suggest someone taking a look at this and say, well, that's just a little, they just want me to do a little thing, like a little extraction or a little touch up or a little blot um, versus no, I need to send this off to a rug professional. Well, my answer to that would be start where you are. You know, you can't be somebody that you're not. So uh, what where, wherever you're at, is where you want to start. So if you um, have just regular carpet cleaning uh, equipment, you could start there. You can clean with that equipment. Um, is it the best? Is it the fastest? No, no, it's not. But start where you are. So the way that you would actually go about doing that is you would have to um, – what we recommend you do is form a strategic alliance with a, another rug cleaning professional. And even the guys that are really good at this, they still have go-to people that if they get a repair job in or they get a super high value rug, they'll send it to somebody else to have them clean it. So we, we kind of like that idea of a, a strategic alliance. So uh, how does that work out practically? Well, you, you know, got to, got to get connected with somebody uh, and talk to them about having them do some wholesale work for you and work out uh, an arrangement. Typically, um, cleaners, professional cleaners that are professional rug cleaners, they'll give the trade uh, somewhere between 20% off to maybe 35% off. There's there's a range in there depending on their pricing. And so you can actually uh, take a rug to them and have them process it they take on the liability and the responsibility, uh, and then you you charge them their retail price, and they sell it to you at wholesale. And that margin's pretty good because rug cleaning is expensive when you get a, a guy that really knows what he's doing and understands. Okay, so I just want to I want to stop here because I want to focus on that point for a second because this is genius, right? Because what you're saying is today, whether you're a house cleaner, janitorial service, carpet cleaner. Today, if you're not doing rugs, you could add that line of business to your service. If you leak, if you first look at yourself as a rug lead source generator for a reputable company in your area, yeah. where you can establish that relationship, and then as you learn, as you grow, then you can, and as the frequency becomes greater, you can actually start to perform that if the margins start to make sense. So it's a great way to get started, like Paul said, where you're at, and then leverage somebody else's blood, sweat, and tears and their passion for what they're doing in order to uh, provide a quality service to your client. Of course, you're going to pick up a little administration and maybe doing some transportation of the rugs to and fro or whatever relationship you work up with the uh, local plant. But I think this is a great opportunity to do something that doesn't require a whole lot of effort at first, could add additional revenue to your business, and eventually could give you a line to a much profitable, a more profitable uh, service. Exactly. I, I go to some of my customers, go to their rug cleaning facility, and I'll be there for a few days, usually teaching a class. And from morning till evening, there are all these vans pulling in with you know, Joe's carpet cleaning or Larry's uh, floor service, and they're pulling in and they're dropping off rugs or picking up rugs. And we've had some retail um, people that sell rugs, uh, maybe uh, family business for generations, and they have a rug cleaning facility kind of in the back. And they just say, oh, there's a rug cleaning guy that will work with us. And they just quit even cleaning rugs and just take all of them uh, to one of my customers and they, they just do all the processing because they really want to focus on sales. They don't want to focus on cleaning. 
So, uh, and you'll see restoration companies coming in. And a lot of these restoration companies are really construction companies. They want to build and rebuild and remodel buildings. And they have this, this clothing. They, they really don't want to clean clothing. They have these rugs. They really don't want to touch these rugs. So all of this stuff will go to a, a dry cleaner because some of the dry cleaners, some of my customers are dry cleaners. And they do the rugs too. Some of them, they just drop them off the rug cleaning place. So there's a real business there. And like I said, start where you are. So it could be this simple. You make that arrangement. You get built a strategic alliance. And then all you do is pick up the rugs and deliver them from your existing customers. You take them over there and you invoice your own customers. You don't tell them they're going somewhere else. You don't have to. If You can sometimes tell them, hey, we send it to an expert that works with us. Uh, they're, they're in, uh, we have a business uh, um you know, uh, agreement. And uh, that's how we're going to handle this one. And then that's, you make money on that. Now you might say, you know, I also provide fiber protection for all my other customers, my cleaning business. So I will do the fiber protection on these rugs, even though I don't clean them. And then I get all the money for that because I'm already there. I know how to do that. And then a lot of the rugs that come in, frankly, are just simply carpet that have been cut down to a rug size instead of wall to wall. So a lot of the rugs come in. That's, that's, that's the stuff you're going to find vast majority of the time, right? If you get these Costco rugs and so forth. Sure. And so why send those out? So you can go ahead and start cleaning those because you have the equipment, you have the experience, you have the knowledge. So you clean the easy ones, so to speak. And then, um, Every time you take rugs, you know, if it was even if I was uh, busy, you know, in, in, in work, I would say I would I would like to be the person that takes the rugs, the rug expert. And then I say, what kind of rug is this? You know, what? Hey, this one's unusual. What, why is this one different from all the other ones I've seen? Uh, and then ask them, what kind of rug is it? How old is it? How much do you think this rug is worth? How do you clean rugs like this? Uh, what about this problem? How do you solve that problem? Do you do this one different than you do the others? And your your uh, strategic alliance, your, ru- your local rug expert guy, he'll teach you everything. Because, you know, most of these people love rugs. They're excited about them. They love the art. They love the history. And they like to share their knowledge. And they'll tell, well, this is a Navajo, and this is how you tell it's a Navajo. Well, this one looks like a Navajo, but it's actually machine-made. Oh, this one looks like a Navajo, but it's really a Zapotec. It's from Mexico. So it's not really a Navajo because it's made by people that are from a different culture. And yeah, I, th- I think people can get overwhelmed, you know, and this is where the the fear starts to come in. But I think you touched on something important. At least I, I caught this. So correct me here if I'm wrong, but that's a big distinction between rugs and carpet rugs, right? Between an actual rug, which is, okay, let's identification and history and the art versus this was a piece of carpet that got cut to a rug. Can I, is it safe to say that that's a, a pretty good separation in the type of rugs that they're going to exist in the wild? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a market for that where uh, you have the pottery barn uh, uh, rugs, the, the rugs from, you know, your retail mall and you're going to have a lot of easy to clean textiles. They're synthetic. They're machine made. The color and they're easy to tell for these guys. The oh. difference between that carpet rug and an actual rug. Once you start to focus on it, it, it it's easy. Okay, it's when people ignore uh, the rugs because they're afraid of them. Because certainly, if you you can clean a rug uh, with a carpet cleaning machine and carpet cleaning chemicals, and you will you will ruin the rug. Uh, the colors will bleed. It'll shrink. Uh, things can happen. So. What you need to do is start to identify those. And that's what we talk about triage. So, so you, uh, let's say uh, your, your local restoration guy uh, who you work with, uh, he, he has a pile of rugs. So he brings in a dozen rugs from a house that had a smoke damage or a water damage. And then you just triage them. Well, this, these are rugs that I can clean because, you know, they're synthetic. They're, they're easy to clean. I'm going to do these myself. And here's a rug with I don't even know what it is. It's 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 scary looking. It looks like one of a kind. Oh, the colors have already bled. There's a hole in it. Uh, the fringe is, is filthy. Well, 
I don't feel comfortable cleaning that. So you roll that one up, you take it to your your strategic alliance, your your rug cleaning buddy, and you just say, you know, what's it going to cost to do this? And what's my share? Uh, what is it? You know, where did it come from? How do you go clean it? And a lot of times they'll just share all that stuff with you. In fact, they're ha- they know what they're doing. They know they're sharing their trade secrets. Now, sometimes you'll get you'll get a, a rug cleaning fellow, and he doesn't want to share. And 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 probably if you work with him in time, he will share. But he's maybe a little like, hey, that's none of your business. That's my business. But if you just ask him, you bring know, bring him some business for a while, then then do the ask. Yeah, yeah. Get get a relationship going. Uh, let them make some money. Uh, but usually, okay. Let, let me talk some numbers real quick, just as a as a gauge. Typically, uh, rug washing is about four dollars a square foot. Now, I, I, there's a lot of people who do it for less. There's a lot of people who do it for more. But you're in about that that range. And then if if you add things on that need to be done, then all that costs more money. Moth proofing, um, you know, fiber protector, uh, any of those things can can add to that. And usually what they'll do is they'll give you about 25% off. So if you have just the basic rug, that's $4. That's You're going to make a dollar a square foot on an easy to clean rug. And you're going to charge $4 a square foot, but, the, but the rug cleaner guy is going to get, you know, three, you know, three quarters of it. Now just think about that. If you're making a dollar a square foot minimum, and then you add on like, uh, the fiber protector that you put on without running it through his business, pick up and delivery charge uh, that you can add and not have to give him any. But even if he does something like remove color for you, uh, strip wash it, uh, he might pop another um, $4 on for that. So now instead of being four, it's $8. Now you're making $2 a square foot for basically having the guy teach you how to do his business. And, and they don't mind doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm it's not like you're doing anything wrong here. People that want to share will share with you. They love sharing. And other people, they won't share with you, but you still make that money. So it's not a bad business. Uh, and then if you want, if you love rugs, you love history, you love culture, you love art, and you become kind of a ruggy guy, a rug lover, then you can learn, you know, take some classes, work with some other people, and you can learn to do all the difficult stuff. Now, you're going to have to you know, you're going to have some issues with mistakes. You're going to have to buy some equipment. You're going to have to invest in your business. But if you love it, then you can go that direction and you be- become the expert. But if you don't love it so much, you can still make money with having this tr- strategic alliance. And your rug cleaning guy will love you because you're bringing him rugs all the time. And he doesn't mind doing it for wholesale because you know how it is to get business. There's a lot of work involved. If you can have a uh, local bringing in business, then then he's happy too. And I love that model. I mean, there's there's uh, plenty of work to go around, and I know the let's call him the kingpin of the rug in the in the in the specific area. So let's say there's one person in the county. I'm sure they hear it all the time. I'm going to start my own. Sure, let me teach you how. Knowing that man, it's highly unlikely for the five rugs they get a year. And plus, it curates their content. So if you if you really do love rugs, you don't want to clean the. Typically, I would guess you would not want to clean the carpet rug. <laughs> it's like why? What's the synthetic thing doing in my shop, yeah. right? So, for the for the amount of cost versus the cost of the actual product itself, it starts to become, you know, make less and less sense for the homeowner to have those services done on cheap stuff. So. I don't know. I just, I like the whole thing. Uh, you know, that, that relationship, it gets you in the market, you know, right away. And then you can start to learn as, as long as you can do that identification process. And that's kind of where you're going to start. And like Paul said, triage, right? Is this something I can hit with my truck or, or what toolbox I, I have, or does this need to go to the big guns? And then, you know, you can even start to get good at selling those services, maybe doing identification plus identification of what your partner is able to do and saying, you know, that fringe looks a little little weak. We might want to shore that up and, you know, talk to Mrs. Jones about those extra services. So 
I think it's good. Paul, you've been in this game for a long time. I'm curious, kind of exotics. What's the oldest rug you ever have run into? Um, well, you can go to museums and see some that are quite ancient. But um, I've been uh, with, with my customers. I've seen rugs from the 1700s, uh, not just one, but several. So uh, those are rugs that will come into your shop if you get a reputation of being one of these uh, rug experts. And so uh, I've certainly seen many of those. Um, I recently bought a, an Afshar uh, when I was at Wade Shahades, Wade Shahades in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he's a multi-generation going who knows how many generation back. And uh, for example, if you had a rug that had, you know, was just rotted, somebody put a, a planter on it and overwatered it until uh, the plant died. And then they pick up the pottery and then there's a big hole in the rug where, you know, so they rotted it. And it's, let's say it's uh, uh, from 1810 or something like that. You can send it to Wade. Uh, all you do is fold it up. He'll teach you how to do it. You send pictures. You talk about it. He quotes it. You you just ship it to Pittsburgh, uh, UPS, uh, FedEx. And then he'll take it and reweave it and turn around and send it back to you. Uh, maybe a month later, two months later, depending on how big the hole is. And then again, you mark that up because he does it wholesale. I'm using him as an example. He does it wholesale. Well, it's a good point that you can do some things even remote, right? Yeah. So, and, and then even the professionals have gurus they go after for really, really choice stuff. And, and uh, uh, I have a friend, uh, Ahmed, and he's from Turkey. And if it's extensive damage, it's like big, but the piece is significant. Uh, we send it back to Turkey and they fix it over there. And the rates are much lower over there. But, you know, it takes longer, but you'll get, you know, six months later uh, and you won't be able, you know, of course, you discuss this with them. Um, do you want it perfect, which is usually not what you want? You want it to look like the rest of the rug. And sometimes because of budgets, uh, you want to just secure it so that it's it's maybe less, not as good as the rest of the rug, but you didn't have to spend as much money on it. So it's amazing what they can do. But I'm using that as an example of that you can make great money. But anyways, I was doing a rug repair class at his place uh, back in November. And I I bought this Afshar, uh, 1850, 1875. Uh, Wade gave me a tremendous deal on it. Again, wholesale price. Uh, I looked it up on the internet and saw all kinds of amazing prices for rugs like this. Uh, but here we are, we're in a rug when the world, you know, I mean, transportation was a horse or walking <laughs> and the dyes were all natural because they hadn't invented uh, synthetic dyes. Uh, Carl, uh, William Perkins uh, invented moth back in 1856. But even though he invented it, it wasn't in the marketplace till long after that. Uh, many years. So I, I have a rug that you don't have to sit there and say, well, are these synthetic dyes? <laughs> well, no, synthetic dyes don't exist. Uh, is this machine made? They weren't that sophisticated to make a rug with a machine like this. So it's it's really a museum piece. So, you know, uh, you, you get to be a ruggy, then, you know, it's like, hey, I have a rug from history. And and Afshar was the, the tribe that became the Shah of Iran came from that, uh, that language group. So, uh, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful piece of art that I have hanging in my house. So, uh, if you're a ruggy, you'll, the, all this stuff will start, uh, building, but there's other companies, uh, depending what part of the world you're from, uh, Robert Mann, for example, a lot of people will send them, uh, rugs that need to be cleaned or repaired that are, you know, museum quality. And, uh, you can even kind of brag about it. We have an expert, uh, you got a world reputation, uh, multi-generational, however you want to express it and say, we're going to give it to them to repair. And here's what it's going to cost you. And it's going to take this many weeks or months and you'll get it back in uh, the best from the best care. So, so again, you don't have to start at the pinnacle and be the expert, be great at everything. How can you be great at everything when you just started? So you work with other people and work with the industry and then you just go high as you want. Because if you want, if you, if that's if you get into this, then you can be the pinnacle. It's going to take some time, some effort uh, and some money, but you can make money on that journey. You don't have to 
in fact, I would advise against it because some people do this. They they buy everything, and, and then they they're ready to be the best. And we're, how do you go pay for that stuff? You you got to build up your clientele. You know, so you can't. It's not wise to spend all the money when you're getting uh, five rugs a week. You're not going to be able to support the overhead. So don't do that. Uh, form these alliances. Do what you can. And then as the cash flow increases and the profit increases, then you have the budget to buy these gadgets. And just buy one at a time. You don't have to buy it all. Unless, you know, somebody hands you a million dollars and says, you know, start a business. But other than that, you really just start from where you're at and just go forward. And I'll tell you what. It's more important to know how to clean a rug with a hand brush, a bucket, and a garden hose. It's better to learn how to clean with that and figure it out than it is to have all this equipment where you just hit the button. You hit the green button, it comes out the other end, uh, you know, washed and, and wrung out. Because you'll never learn how to clean if you, if you do it that way. And there are machines like that. But you're better off learning how to clean with a bucket and brush by hand. And, and if you can do it that way, then when you get the machine, you can just you can do tons of rugs. But it's because you have the volume uh, of, of rugs coming in, not because you, the machine knows more than you know. No, I think that's great. And then the fact that you can do it with a, a brush and a garden hose, um, you just have to actually learn it and, you know, know what you're doing and. Maybe that's in a bit of an exaggeration. Can you throw a little bit of chemical in there once in a while? Right. You got to know what you're doing. Um, Paul, what's the most expensive, just to scare the crap out of people, what's the most expensive rogue you've come across? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, I don't know if this is the most expensive one. I'll have to think about that. But uh, I had a, I have a good customer, a good friend, a good partner, uh, he teaches classes with me, and it's Nathan Coots is his name. So Nathan, Nathan gets this phone call, and somebody's had a flood in their home. And, of course, he's a rug guy, so he's not the flood guy. He's the rug guy. So he gets over to the lady's house, and she says, come down here in the basement. We had all this water damage, the pipe broke, and I got this Chinese rug down in the basement, and it's soaking wet. And he goes, he goes, okay, you know, here's what we'll do. You know, we'll, and he explains a little bit, talks about pricing, talks about insurance uh, adjuster. And then he says, we're going to wrap that all up in plastic so that when we're carrying it out through your home, it's not dripping contaminated water all over your home. And then we'll get it, we'll get it to the shop and we'll, we'll dry it real quick and do all that service. And then I'll call you back with, you know, the rest of the story. So she's going great. Everything's going good. He goes, but what about that rug up there over the railing that's upstairs that's hanging there? She goes, well, that didn't get wet. No problem. He goes, well, can you tell me a little bit about that? That She goes, oh, that's an old blanket. You know, we, uh, I got that from my parents and it's been in the family forever. He goes, can I look at it? And she goes, okay, yeah, you, you can go up there. So he goes up to the landing on the stairs and they have this Navajo chief's blanket uh third phase and so he wears it he puts it on because these Navajo blankets when you wear them right the stripes because basically they're horizontal stripes but when you fold it right then it becomes uh, a different look instead of being flat horizontal lines now it's more like a diamond and he wears it down he goes this is a chief's blanket this is Navajo and she's going like, really? You know, it's, it's, so it's it's something. And he's, oh, yeah. He says, this belongs in a museum. And she goes, well, how much do you think it's worth? And he goes, oh, 150000 minimum. <laughs> so she was blown away. She thought it was just a hand-me-down. But yet in this home in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and so I'm trying to say this is not that, you know, it's rare, but it's not that rare. Here is a significant piece uh, that she didn't even know the value of it. And so we do see these things. Uh, we had a flood job uh, that I was involved with because we rent equipment. So we're not out there doing the jobs, but we have air movers and stuff. And so um, the, the cleaning people asked me to come down and look at everything. Well, they had 30-some uh, uh, rugs on the floor. 
most of them were Navajos. And uh, I went in there and, and said, uh, because they called another cleaner uh, before I got there, and they got the big um, Karistan rug out because it was the big, big giant rug, and they wanted to get it out of the way. And, um, and I said to him, well, that really doesn't have a significant value because it's a machine-made rug. It's modern. Uh, it's made out of wool. It's, it's valuable in its use value. It's good quality. But it's not ever going to be in a museum, at least not, not in, in the next couple uh, centuries. <laughs> but I said, you have some very significant Navajo rugs, and you have some uh, Morristown, and uh, you have some Zapotecs, and I start uh, talking about all these. And uh, the woman's going, really? What did you call that? And what, what is this? And what is that? And I said, well, you know, these are, these rugs are over a hundred years old. I said, you didn't buy them, did you? And she goes, no. I said, well, who bought them all? And she says, my mother-in-law. I said, well, your mother-in-law has great taste in, in uh, textiles and in art. And so again, I said, don't send these to the local cleaner to have them clean them. You need to send these to an expert. I have a guy that, and I'll have him come out and he'll talk to you, but you have some very significant pieces here that maybe, I don't know, um, you can't really set a price on because it it's art and it's what people are willing to pay for it, but you have significant pieces. And and, and she had one in particular, uh, what they call a storm pattern. And I said, you know, this one to me, I, if I had to guess, I'd say a hundred grand for this rug, but you know, I, I'm not an expert at that. Uh, but typically, uh, uh, very often you walk across rugs that are in the uh, fifteen to thirty thousand dollar neighborhood uh, in every community. They're, they're just yeah, rugs it becomes a liability. Well, that's why you got to know what you're doing. Because uh, let me let me just tell you a secret. It's not that the experts never make mistakes. It's that experts know how to fix their mistakes. And so when we teach people how to clean rugs, we, we talk about inspection and what our plan is to clean it. So we have inspection, testing, and we go through that and then we come up with a game plan. That's plan A. And then we get plan B and plan C. Okay. And we, we do that because while we're cleaning it, things go haywire. Like it starts to bleed color or it starts to shrink, or it starts to change color, uh, or it gets all uh, warped. And so during your inspection, you should have understood what that was. You know, you're supposed to be looking for that. Um, but, but things happen. So the experts, it happens to them too. They just know what to do to get it back to where it was or better. And that's really what the secret is. It's learning uh, how to react to the problems. And that's pretty much true with most things. <laughs> Running a business isn't about having all the answers when you get started. You've got to kind of learn how to iterate and learn and progress and grow and keep your mistakes within a uh, manageable reach, right? I mean, you're not saying like, I don't know nothing about rugs. Hey, let's try bleach. And just spray it all over an Avaho and t tumble it up, and then it comes out, you know, white. <laughs> You're like, huh? That maybe that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> well, that's like, one way to learn is by destroying things and then having to purchase them. Then you start to know what the value of them are and where they're from because you got to go buy a new one. But that's not a wise way to learn. But that some sometimes that's how people learn. And you know, I want to go back to something we were talking about uh, because. Um, I think it's significant too, is that we're talking about rugs of value and, and historic and culture. But, you know, a lot of people have rugs that if you get to be a rug snob, you'll look at that and say, well, that's from Sears, you know, or that's a Karistan that's made on a machine. But the person that owns that rug, they'll say, this was my grandmother's rug. And the value of that rug is gigantic to them. And as a rug snob, you might look down your nose at that rug, but really you're there to help your customers and to solve their problems, give them options. That rug is, is the, the values 
huge. Uh, you'll get rugs where people went on their honeymoon or on their anniversary, or maybe it was their last trip when they were both alive, and they bought this rug in China or in Morocco uh, or in England. And you look at it and you go, well, that's an ugly rug or that's a piece of junk. But you know what? You don't ever say that. Uh, you just say, does this rug have a story? And let those people tell the story. Because I walk into rug cleaning places, and I, a lot of rug cleaners have a minimum charge, typically around $100. You don't clean any rug for less than 100 bucks. Well, I'll walk in, I'll see what's hanging on the drying rack, and I say, how much did you charge to clean this rug? They go, minimum charge, $100, you know. And I'll go, this rug isn't even worth $100. And they go, well, that's not, that's not, my, that's not my problem. You know, they, they wanted it cleaned. This is my minimum charge. Um, and sometimes I might say to a, a person, well, have you considered replacement? You know, because, you know, you might want to get a new rug. And then they'll have this story. Well, no, we got this rug on this trip or we got this rug from our friend. Or they might say, hey, it really ties the room together. You know, and that then that's the reason because it has just the colors they like. And, and you'll get that. I just love doing this. <laughs> Did you just quote Big Lebowski? Yes, I did. <laughs> I love it. Uh. But, it, you know, so the value of the rug to us is not as important as the value of the rug to your client. And you, you don't want to become a rug snob and you don't want to become cavalier about claiming, oh, this is just a machine made. It's it's going to be easy because, you know, sometimes actually some of those synthetic fibers are just as hard to clean as the natural fibers. Uh, the value is not there uh, in what it's what you can resell it for or what the cost of materials are or, you know, any of those things. But to the customer, it, the value is there. And, and funny, again, people look at rugs not as part of their house, but as part of their art collection uh, or, or like more like a garment, you know, something that's theirs that they like. It's my hat or it's my coat or it's my scarf. And they have personal pride in that. You know, it's their expression of their uh, of their art, the expression of their personality. And so we don't want to say, well, that's a piece of junk. I'll clean it for 50 bucks. Uh, because we don't want to insult anybody. And we can make a lot of money cleaning easy-to-clean rugs, too. Uh, but you don't lower your price because your price covers your your, your skill, uh, your overhead. Um, you know, and it, it's you're going to have ones that you have to clean four or five times because you screwed it up and it's, you know, it's in trouble and you're going to have to work your way through it. So you got to get you got to make profit so you, when you do make a mistake, you have the budget to fix the mistake. So, and I think it's a great. It's not just an add-on. Um, it's a, it's a path to having a closer relationship with your client. Even if you are, let's say, you're a house cleaner on a regular basis, to be able to elevate yourself to the I'm your cleaning go-to. Not only can I get things done for you, but I can get things done for you. I can call in experts. I can ship a rug to the proper people. I can take care of it myself. Um, that's pretty powerful. And if you can become that consultant with your client instead of just a transactional cleaning utensil, um, then you move away from the hourly chase and grind. Uh, so Paul, thank you so much. You've, you've really enlightened us. We don't need to be scared. We need some education, but we can get into this game pretty quick. Um, if you establish the right connections. Well, great. I, I thank you so much, uh, for uh, giving me an opportunity to talk about this. Uh, I think it's a great idea that you're doing this. I know you've been uh, great for people, helping them with their businesses, helping them with their uh, scheduling, the marketing. You know, so you're a great resource too. Um, and and uh, there's a lot of people that love this rug business. They're they're passionate about it. And you may be one of them if you get into it. Uh, maybe not, but you can still uh, work the trade. 
uh, with, with where you're at. Uh, you can start from there and then you can uh, kind of test the waters to, de- to determine if you want to become an art cleaner, a rug cleaner, or if you just want to be somebody that connects the people, the right people together. And uh, Yeah. And speaking of which, um, talk about the rug room, pitch them real quick because okay. they get together uh, via webinar on a weekly basis. Yes, we do uh, the rug room. Uh, um, it's on all the time, 24-7, and it's on Facebook, The Rug Room. And what you can do is just talk about rugs. We boot everybody that doesn't, you know, that gets too far off of that because it's The Rug Room. Uh, and people post pictures, what kind of rug is this, how old is it, what's its value, and uh, you can get all that for free. And then you can post other things. Well, I had, you know, this customer asked me this and that. How do I do it? What about bed bugs and moths and carpet beetles? You know, all that. We can cover all that stuff. Uh, I did this and this is how it turned out. What do I do now? So that's 24-7. Uh, there's several of us that look at that several times a day and try to answer that. And it's not all just, you know, me and, and another guy. It's the whole community helps each other. And then on Wednesday nights... Uh, we do the Rug Room Live, and that's at uh, 8 o'clock, no, wait, 8.30, uh, 8.30 Eastern Time, 7.30 Central, uh, 6.30 Mountain, 5.30 Co- uh, Pacific Coast. And uh, th- then, again, you can jump on that, and what we do is we take some of the uh, pictures that came in on the Rug Room Live that week or phone calls that we've gotten uh, that are relevant and we, we do a section called, what would you do? That's the first half hour, 35, 40 minutes of what would you do? And we just review these good questions, good pictures. And then after that first half hour, then we do the main topic. And it's a different topic every week. Uh, we have uh, guests come on like yourself, uh, Joe. You've been on a couple times. I've been on a few times, yep. yeah. And so we have a guest come in and we have them speak. Uh, or we just pick a topic and we talk about that topic completely free. Um, and it's always changing because it's a new topic every week. So we so do- for these new youngins in social media, how long have you guys been doing this rug room live thing? Uh, well, we've had some different name changes, uh, but I've been doing it for about 10 years. And I, the, the guy that actually started was Scott Kentfield, and he cleans rugs up in Traverse City, Michigan. And he just said, hey, let's just talk about rugs. And then after he did that, he um, he basically said, I don't know what to, I don't know how to answer. So he called me. He buys cleaning chemicals for me and uh, been to our classes and stuff. And he says, um, you know, can you come? So I, I actually drove up to his house and had a meal with him. And we did uh, week number two. Uh, and we did uh, the rug room. Uh, what, what, we called it something different back then. But anyways, uh, that was about mm, I, about 10 years ago. And we've been doing it every Wednesday. What's that? 2010? Yeah, I think about then, yeah. That's And that's amazing considering, you know, how much we take for granted, how easy it is to use this type of technology today. 10 years ago, you guys have been do, going for that long. That's major consistency more than they've seen a lot of these people because they'll come up and people will turn the camera around and get excited about sharing. And then they'll go for, you know, a month or two or four, maybe even five. And then nothing really happens. They get bored. It fizzles out. Um, But for you guys to go for 10 years, that has a lot, you guys, that's amazing. Well, too, it's it's just not one or two guys though. It's a community effort. We've had a lot of people uh, that come and go, but we've had a consistent group of people uh, that are really happy to share uh, their stories. And then the cool thing about art and culture and history and rugs is you don't run out of things to talk about. There's always something to talk about uh, because it's it's complex. It's not, if it was easy, everybody would wash rugs, but it's not easy. It's complex, but there's a community uh, that that works with that, and, and it's not just us. There's other uh, rug communities on Facebook. A lot of them are about rug ID, uh, and you know, um, uh, there's one out of England that I'm on. A, a couple of uh, Weft Kickers, I think, is the name of one of them. But you can find these groups, uh, and we're certainly one of them. And the other thing that that's not free is our uh, is our classes. Uh, we do charge for those, 
because there's a lot of expenses involved. But what's unique about our class is that it's almost entirely hands-on. We don't really sit at a desk. We do for maybe, we'll talk for maybe five or 10 minutes on a subject, and then we'll say, okay, now let's go do that. Or somebody will ask a question. I say, okay, let's everybody sit down. Let me explain the chemistry that's going on here since we make a lot of the chemicals. Uh, but it's, it, it is like 95% hands-on. And we teach a little carpet repair. Uh, so you get, you get a little hands-on training on how to do like a side cord and how to do a fringe uh, for repairs. And then what we do is we clean real rugs. We don't have like uh, some of the class you go to. And again, I'm not going to mention his name or try to, and I don't mean to slay anybody, but you know, sometimes you're cleaning these really easy to clean rugs, you know, synthetics, machine made. We clean silk, we clean Navajo, we clean animal pelts. We clean bleeders. In fact, what we do is we say to our students when they're coming, don't bring any gigantic rugs, no palisized rugs. But if you can bring small rugs to class that either are ruined or you're afraid of them, then we will clean your rugs in class. So for example, uh, Dave Nichols brought, I think, four Navajos uh, to one of the classes. And you know he was afraid of them. And we clean them right in class, and we have the students get involved. It's not just us cleaning for you. You're you're going to clean them. We're going to coach you. Uh, and we cleaned all four of those Navajos in a very short amount of time because you don't want to dawdle. And um, he got them. He said he said to everybody, he goes because they, they turned out beautiful. He said I just paid for my hotel, my meals, my airfare, and the class with these four rugs we just cleaned. And, and so he knows how to charge. Uh, so you, you can do that. And, and we'll take, we'll clean anything. Now, we'll also tell you before we clean what we think it's going to turn out like and what, what issues we can't fix and what's pre-existing. And, and we'll do all that. But we'll go ahead and do it anyways. And I'll tell you, a couple times I just cringed. In fact, I said to one guy, he says, we're not going to clean that because it, it, it's going to come out terrible. And we cleaned it. It came out beautiful. And I'm going like, wow. That turned out better than expected. Uh, but we've had other ones where we said, you know, it's it's we're not going to be able to fix this, but we'll we'll try. And then we do it, and it doesn't come out much better, maybe a little bit better. But, you know, that's life. You, can, you can't be perfect. You can't have perf- – you can't win every battle. But you, we've, in class, we teach you how to, you know, inspect the rug, find its problems, come up with plan A, B, C, D, and then we go for it. And that's real life. Very good. Paul, again, thank you so much for your time. We'll definitely have you back on other topics because I do want to pick your brain about some of that chemistry, some of that uh, LST, low moisture kind of stuff. But for now, thank you for joining us. Okay, looking forward to it. You've been listening to The Cleaning Podcast. Send all of your cleaning questions to thecleaningpodcast at servicemonster.net. And be sure to subscribe to the show. Special thanks to our expert today. And remember, if they could clean it themselves, they wouldn't need an expert like you.